Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Life of friends is boring. We must not say so. After all, the sky flashes, the great sea yearns, we ourselves flash and yearn, and moreover, my mother told me as a boy, repeatingly, ever to confess your board means you have no inner resources. I conclude now, I have no inner resources. A because I am heavy bored. What you just heard was the poet John Berryman reciting one of his famous dream songs, um, probably his most famous dream song. Uh, and he is going to be the topic of conversation here on the podcast today. I was really excited to host uh, my first guest, actually, um, and uh, couldn't be a better choice in my husband, Chris Marquette. Um, we had so much fun just talking uh, talking poetry and reminiscing about a project we did back in college that focused on confessional poetry. And um, yeah, so this is that's what this podcast today is going to be all about. It's going to be about the poet John Berryman. So I think that you will really enjoy getting to learn a little bit more about his work. Um, and uh, and I hope that that you go and read some of him. I hope it's inspiring to you. And if you're new to the podcast, my name is Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. You can follow along with me if you go to bornofwonder.com. I have a blog there. I write a lot of essays, and I also uh, link to all my audio work and things like that. And you can follow me on Instagram, things like that. Uh, I'd love to connect with you and hear what you think about the podcast. And on that note, uh, I will just reiterate how important reviews are to podcasts in getting the word out and making sure they show up in the uh, in the mysterious iTunes algorithm. So if you have time to leave a review, I would certainly appreciate it. Um, but without further ado, let's get going on the topic of conversation today, the poet John Berryman. Um, so I'm here with my husband, Chris Marquette, who has agreed to uh, chat with us about John Berryman. Uh, back in college, uh, we did a, it was actually an amazing grant. I can't believe they did this at the time because it was really only science projects that were getting funding. But we had the opportunity uh, to spend the summer basically uh, on the river of our little uh, liberal arts college and uh, and read uh, poetry all summer long and, and write about it together. And um, we had a really long title for a really good title, though I think, for our project, which was. Let me see if I can. I know. It. I know. <laughs> it was, um, imaginary conversions. That was the part we really liked. Imaginary yeah. conversions. Uh, Jewish, Jewish identity in the lives. And, no, Jewish identity, and 
Holocaust. No, we didn't include that. It was just Jewish. It was just Jewish identity in the lives of four confessional poets. Mm, are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> well, just that imagine. Just we'll t- go with that imaginary conversions line. Yeah. So, well, you get the <laughs> idea. So it was. It was about. Um, we we included uh, Robert Lowell, Anne Sexton, Sylvia Plath, and John Berryman, who we're talking about today, um, because they all, in different ways, used uh, used used the Holocaust and uh, the Jewish experience of the Holocaust. And uh, diaspora and all and and everything that happened um, afterward, to sort of, um, for better or worse, to communicate their own sense of victimization and suffering and psychological trauma. Um, so we split up sort of the reading um, where we sort of we each read um, read a fair amount of poetry and also biographies and just sort of immersed ourselves. Uh, in in these poets lives and uh came up with a really interesting project but um chris especially uh dove into john berryman um so i he's came up on my radar again recently um just i I just stumbled across uh this this group of poems here that he wrote um late in his poetic career 11 addresses to the lord and we'll talk about that sort of at the end of the conversation but um just because a lot of people don't know about john berryman uh, i thought he might be fun to talk about and uh introduce some people to because he's definitely an interesting uh, interesting figure and uh his poetry is very interesting um and if you listen to last episode you might remember that um the poet Philip Levine um, was talking about a poetry class that he took with John Berryman and what an inspiring teacher he was. And that's um, that's something you hear again and again about John Berryman is what sort of a charismatic figure he was. Uh, he, he struggled with alcohol and um, and depression and a lot of personal issues, but he had a lot of a lot of conviction and a lot of presence and he certainly took his students and his teaching very seriously. So Welcome, Chris, to the podcast, and thank you for uh, spending spending the time with me here, watching the baby on the monitor and talking about John Berryman. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. So when did you first discover John Berryman? I don't actually know. I know that... Uh it was in some sort of Google, <laughs> like a Wikipedia hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what I I was interested in the uh, you know so-called genre, confessional poets. Probably because I was an adolescent or teenager, you know, and and uh, sympathized with the uh, the drama <laughs> in their poetry. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed with Sylvia Plath, probably for the same reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was really drawn to John Berryman once I discovered him, though, because uh, he was so incomprehensible to me. Um, and that just kind of inspired me to uh, <laughs> keep reading him, which I know it sounds like it doesn't make sense. but. So uh, apparently James Franco is aware of John Berryman and wants to make a biopic of him, but I guess most people don't really know who he is. So I wonder if he'll play John Berryman. That'll be interesting. I don't know if he has the right <laughs> look. He'd have to go out, grow quite a beard. But um, could you just give, I mean, I know you're not an expert in John Berryman, but you know more about his biography than I do. Um, like who, who was he? Um, why is he important? 
in uh, 20th century poetry? Yeah. Um, well, like you said, I mean, I'm no expert on, on John Berryman, but I know a little bit about his life. I know he was born in Oklahoma, um, and that John Berryman was not the name he had at birth. He was, um, I don't remember the middle name, it might have been Allen, but I think, I know his last name at birth was Smith, and uh, that was his father's name as well, I think, John Smith. But when John Berryman was, I guess, 12 or so, I don't know exactly the age, but when he was very young, his father committed suicide, and uh, this obviously was, you know, traumatizing, incredibly traumatizing for him, and uh, sort of cast a shadow over the rest of his life, uh, and is referenced a couple times in his poetry. But uh, and then at some point, I know his mother remarried to someone who with the last name Berryman, so that's how he got the name John Berryman. I know that he was a very promising student, you know, as a young man, and was very, very committed. From a very early age, I know he was basically what we would, we would call a workaholic, um, obsessed with literature. And I know he, it is random, but I know he wrote a science fiction novel, or at least part of really? one, when he was a teenager. Um, I guess we all do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I did. <laughs> yeah, I definitely um, did. He went to Columbia uh, and studied in um, Cambridge, I think. Yeah, I think it was Cambridge. Yeah, but uh, when he was at Columbia, he was there with some other distinguished people. Um, for one, his uh, teacher, his favorite teacher there was a man named Mark Van Doren, who was a famous at the time as a Shakespearean scholar and um, that inspired John Berryman to uh, study Shakespeare himself and so he had a kind of a parallel career I know I'm jumping around but he had a parallel career later on as a scholar mm. and um, you know there's been a book assembled since his death of his work on Shakespeare and he was very serious about it. He tried to come up with the definitive conflation of uh, the two remaining, you know, the two surviving texts of King Lear. Mm. Um, I don't think he was successful in that conflation, but he worked hard on it. So he had a lot of ambitions, a lot of... Uh, <laughs> But I mean, we don't we don't remember him, or most people don't, as a Shakespearean scholar. We remember him as a as a poet. So was that his? Was he? Did he intend to be a poet, or was he? Did he think of himself more as a professor and a scholar? I think he uh, he definitely thought of himself as a poet. But I would I think my impression is that he thought of himself very much as both, mm -hmm. and he really wanted to to uh, be respected in both fields but primarily as a poet I would say so so I think a lot if people do know John Berryman they know the dream songs um, do you remember when you first read any of his dream songs well I think that would probably have been the first thing I read of his um, and who knows if that's the right thing to start with but uh, it is what he's most known for um, but they are probably the uh, least comprehensible of his poems 
but I, I remember he said something in an interview I heard or read. Um, he said something like, uh, "The dream songs are are not are, are of course not meant to be understood. You understand? <laughs> they are meant they are meant only to uh, or they are meant to terrify and comfort." So what makes them simultaneously terrifying and comforting? I mean, so if, and if somebody's never heard of the dream songs, how would you, uh, what's your elevator pitch on them? What's your uh, like two sentence summary of, of what they are uh, and why they're sort of a distinctive collection of poems? Um, well, yeah, the elevator pitch is, I guess, a strange one, but it's um, probably uh, the, um, the real accomplishment that Berryman made with the dream songs is uh, has something to do with poetic voice. I think he, um, you know, he a lot of them are written in a kind of bizarre vernacular that he invented. There are basically two voices in the dream songs. One one voice is uh, the voice of Henry. Who has um, <laughs> several last names, depending on which uh, dream song you read. Uh, and one of them, his last name is given as House. And um, but uh, elsewhere, maybe it's just a nickname. But he's called Henry Pussycat. Um, but um, and then the other voice is uh, of someone who's not named but uh, refers to Henry, this other voice refers to Henry as Mr. Bones. Uh, when, the, when the dream songs were first reviewed, Robert Lowell wrote one of the early reviews, and he completely misunderstood the uh, character dynamic in the dream songs and thought that the second character, that he thought that there were two characters, one Henry and one Mr. Bones, when in fact... Henry is Mr. Bones. <laughs> well, I guess that's sort of comforting that Robert Lowell uh, right. could misinterpret. Like this is how sort of how sort of confusing these poems have the potential to be that Robert Lowell was misinterpreting them <laughs> and it went on to write about it. I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. embarrassing, kind of. Was he corrected by Berryman? Yeah, he was. Wow. I'm sure that Berryman loved that because he was friends with Lowell, but also in competition with him, mm -hmm. and very jealous of Lowell's early success. Mm -hmm. Berryman was successful only, sort of late in his life. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the 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 voice that's that's calling Henry Mr. Bones is he's in blackface, right? Basically. Well, Henry is sometimes in blackface. Okay. Um, it's yeah. It's all very very tied into the history of the minstrel shows uh, in the United States, and I, I'm not too familiar, honestly, with the um, what went on during a minstrel show. But I know that the uh, what, what Berryman always referred to as Henry's interlocutor, the uh, the other character in the dream songs, the other voice we hear occasionally, is what would have been known in the minstrel show as the end man, who was kind of the uh, Maybe in like a, uh, in a comedy, maybe like the straight man, you know, somebody who props up the act, mm -hmm. helps the performer get from topic to topic and from joke to joke or 
that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So Berryman's very aware in these poems of himself as a, as a performer, essentially, um, and yeah. maybe creating some distance uh, with these this sort of convoluted series of narrators. Um, and it sounds like uh, very consciously putting on an act for uh, for the readers. Yeah, very much so. Um, but what and what complicates the whole thing really is that um, Henry is Berryman in so many ways, um, and this is what makes uh, the critics, you know, at the time consider Berryman one of the confessional poets. Is that so many details from Berryman's life are incorporated into the dream songs and uh, his own life experiences given to Henry and commented upon by Henry. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think that performance is such an integral theme in the dream songs. Um, and uh, making art out of life, you know. And I mean, um, if we think back to, to that project we did in college with the four confessional poets, um, I mean, if I think, though, when I'm comparing that within the same project, we were reading Anne Sexton and Berryman, Anne Sexton seems so much more just uh, raw uh, both in her style, but also just she's just presenting herself essentially. There's no sort of even um, layer of uh, here's a performance, here's another character. It's sort of like this is me, the poet, and here is what I'm saying. Uh, and that's true also of Plath, although she had characters, and I mean, she would claim that, um, you know, she would talk about in Daddy uh, and that, you know, this is a girl with an electric complex, you know, but it was also clearly her um and uh lol i mean life studies you couldn't really get more uh immediately personal but um berryman seems sort of unique to me in uh in in sort of being so personal but through characters so explicitly yeah that's uh that's definitely true in the dream songs um yeah there are there are like there's it's a very sort of complicated uh there are a lot of masks in in the dream songs, um, and you're right. The other three confessional poets you mentioned don't play with masks as much, um, but Berryman definitely did. So I started this episode with uh, Berryman uh, reciting um, probably his most famous dream song, which just starts out that with uh, the life friends is boring. Uh, what do you do you remember this dream song like do you do you remember um yeah we must not say so after all the sky flashes the great sea yearns we ourselves flash and yearn and moreover my other my mother told me as a boy that's the line i love this one yeah uh repeatedly ever to confess you are bored means you have no inner resources I confess now, or I conclude now, I have, I have no, no inner, inner resources, resources. <laughs> because I am heavy bored. That's so great. Yeah. So I picked that out because I had recently, um, I don't know if I had ever read them, but uh, come across these uh, 11 addresses to the Lord, um, which I know he wrote after the dream songs. Um, but they seem to me... Uh, 
I don't know, optimistic isn't the right word, but it's a very different tone than somebody saying they have no inner resources, heavy board, life is boring. And then here we have this sort of like awe in the world and um, in in these addresses. Um, maybe I'll, I'll just read the start of the first one. Uh, Master of beauty, craftsman of the snowflake, inimitable contriver, endower of earth so gorgeous and different from the boring moon. Thank you for such as it is my gift. I have made up a morning prayer to you, containing with precision everything that most matters. According to thy will, the thing begins. It took me off and on two days. It does not aim at eloquence. You have come to my rescue again and again in my impassable, sometimes despairing years. You have allowed my brilliant friends to destroy themselves, and I am still here, severely damaged, but functioning. Unknowable, as I am unknown to my guinea pigs. How can I love you? I only as far as gratitude and awe, confidently and absolutely go. So, I mean, obviously some dark elements. Uh, his brilliant friends destroyed him, destroyed themselves, but he's still here, severely damaged, but functioning. Um, and some sort of... Uh, just as as I am unknown to my guinea pigs they're not exactly um grand uh what's the word I'm looking for like a grand simile <laughs> uh, the comparisons um well, there's like a touch of humor I mean yeah, oh absolutely well he's very funny I mean yeah in all of his poems except maybe the earliest when he's uh most imitative of his idols but um yeah, I mean, just how do, how does this strike you uh, when we think about this in comparison to the dream songs? Well, it's not all that different in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, he, he kind this is kind of uh, in the same mold as the uh, the dream songs in a way because it it is in the same voice in some ways. I think mm -hmm. he kind of invented a voice, but even like that line. Um, he he often did things like this, you know, like with the v strange syntax, mm -hmm. like I only as far as gratitude and awe, confidently and absolutely go, mm -hmm. like putting the verb way at the end like that, you know, that's a very Berryman thing to do, and that you find that all over the dream songs too. Hmm. But that's just a little thing. But um, but Ber Berryman was not a religious man. He wasn't a practicing religious person, but like a lot of academics in the humanities, he had a deep interest in religion. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was very interested in uh, the Christian tradition. And he, re I mean, he read widely. Like he was the incredibly well-read. He read, uh, and I know he he had a deep respect for Saint Paul in particular. He named his son Paul. Mm. Uh, I think after him. So I read um, Berryman was infamously an alcoholic um, and was institutionalized many times on account of that. Um, but during one of those uh, those medical events, he had sort of what he credited as a as a religious conversion, where he changed his ideas of sort of what you were talking about with an artistic idea, like an abstract idea of God, to a very personal concept of God who interceded on behalf of in individuals um, 
and that was in 1970 and uh and then he he died in 1972 so the, these take on uh, it's sort of an unfortunate thing with a lot of these poets that um you know especially when someone like Berryman like when you read about the interest in him from a pop popular culture level um it's because he committed suicide essentially and we know that's true of Sylvia Plath um but when I read these these poems, um, they're they're just really beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm not as familiar with his other poetry, so I don't know where they how how they fit in. But um, any Berryman I read, I always really really like. Um, but it's sort of touching to me that he um, had that experience and wrote the, wrote sort of these um, sort of in the tradition of uh, like odes or praises. Um, and uh, that he was clearly had discovered something redeeming in the world. Yeah, there. I th also think they're in the tradition of prayers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they are coming from a dark place. Like you said, you know, maybe this uh, this quasi-religious conversion, whatever it is, came from a dark place, mm -hmm. and so do these poems. I like how um, <laughs> like hesitant they are mm. to approach God. Yeah. <laughs> um, like this second one. Holy, as I suppose I dare to call you without pretending to know anything about you, <laughs> but infinite capacity everywhere and always, and in particular certain goodness to me. <laughs> and again, that's that sort of odd syntax. Yeah. Yeah. And even again here, a little bit of the humor again. Yours is the crumpling to my sister-in-law, terrifying thunder. Yours the candelabra bud, sticky in spring. Christ's mercy, the gloomy wisdom of godless Freud. <laughs> Yours the lost souls in ill-attended wards. Those agonized through the world at this instant of time. All evil men, Belson, Omaha Beach. Incomprehensible to man your ways. Um, yeah, I mean, they're like simultaneously, they they just contain this sort of wry humor, but also, um, and I found this in the dream songs too, just, uh, so much sincerity too. Yeah, well, it, I appreciate its, um, its honesty, you know, and I mean, it is, um, it's power to, it's powerful to acknowledge how unknowable God is. You know, and that's I think what he's doing, at least in the ones we've looked at here. Yeah, I know. I think he is, and I think that um, addresses to the Lord. This is how. This is somebody who's being honest in their uh, their approach to God and in in his incomprehensibility. Um, so many of so I, I even just like perusing here he says forgive me lord unite my various soul soul watchmen of the wide and single stars this is beautiful it's amazing um and I he's, like my various soul my various soul yeah um there was part in here i remember that uh i liked um talks about he says, I have no idea whether we live again. It doesn't seem likely. <laughs> From either the scientific or the philosophical point of view. But certainly all things are possible to you. 
So we sort of have this uh, presentation of this is impossible, but it is possible to you. Um, and then he goes on and says, and I believe as fixedly, and I believe as fixedly in the resurrection appearances to Peter and to Paul as I believe I sit in this blue chair. Only that may have been a special case to establish their initiatory faith. <laughs> so <laughs> constantly the rational mind of the academic yep. coming back in, interrupting the faith. Right, yeah. right. So um yeah, maybe maybe uh, we can just read um read the last if you, you could read the last uh last address here because i see on uh the monitor here that we have a restless baby so <laughs> we may have to have to conclude this soon <laughs> germanicus leapt upon the wild lion in smyrna wishing to pass quickly from a lawless life the crowd shook the stadium the proconsul marveled Eighty and six years have I been his servant, and he has done me no harm. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp, John's pupil, facing the fire. Make, too, me acceptable at the end of time in my degree, which then thou wilt award. Cancer, senility, mania, I pray I may be ready with my witness. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was fun. I'll have to pick <laughs> another random person to talk about. Soon. I would enjoy it. It's <laughs> been my pleasure. So that was a lot of fun for me and Chris to um, have a little bit of time there to have an adult conversation, uh, not a super common thing we get to do these days um, with little Josephine. Uh, she gives us a pretty good stretch of sleep at the beginning of the night. So that is our time, uh, time to unwind, watch, uh, watch the Olympics or have a, have a chat like that. Um, so that was really fun and I hope it was enjoyable to listen to. And um, Hopefully, maybe we'll have Chris again on the podcast. Uh, there's lots of things we love to talk about. So, and I think that he is a great guest. So, I want to leave you with um, a recommendation, as I always do uh, today. I want to recommend the the singer songwriter Sibyl Byer. Um, maybe you've heard of her. She was kind of a sensation when um, she kind of came out of nowhere. This is sort of what I love about her story: is that uh, she recorded these these beautiful, amazing songs um, 30 some years ago, uh, and then nothing came of them. Uh, she actually had an offer for a big record deal and it just never happened. And she led sort of a quiet life with her husband and her kids. And they knew lots of people in the artistic world, but um, so she was very involved in music and the arts, but on a very local level and just with her family. Um, but then years later at a birthday party, her son, her adult son now, uh, burned all these old, old songs of hers onto CDs and gave them out as party favors. And there just happened to be um, a member of the band Dinosaur Jr. in attendance who listened to them, was blown away, um, and connected uh, connected her and her music to a record producer. And lo and behold, she became sort of this um, 
indie folk art sensation and uh she's never performed a gig she doesn't have any other albums um so she's just uh this this really interesting figure sort of in the tradition of nico but much better in my opinion <laughs> um so i think that you'll enjoy enjoy hearing a little bit of of her song tonight from the album the color green and I will link to that in the show notes uh, if you want to check out more of her music. But um, And side note, uh, seems to put babies to sleep pretty well. I had this album on as I walked around the house with the baby carrier and she happily conked out. So um, maybe moms take note. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for listening as always. I hope it was an enjoyable episode. And uh, if you have any uh, tips, comments, suggestions, anything, um, just again, you feel free to visit bornofwonder.com. You can go to the contact page and get in touch with me anytime. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, when I came home from work, heard tonight, when I came home from work, there he, unforeseen, sat in my kitchen, buttering himself for bread, and the cat was on his knee and smiled at me. Tonight, when I came home from work, tonight, when I came home from work, Unforeseen, passed the guitar and said I battered my car right now. Won't you please give me your tune? We had change of the moon. We had change of the moon tonight. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 